And I'm reading to you today from the second chapter of Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. And he said this, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ, and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Now, Paul is reminding us here of something that I, I want to make it very clear. I mean, obviously, he was speaking to the, the men and women of the Church of Corinth in that day. However, I do believe this message continues to have a, a resonating effect on the church today and the church of tomorrow, the edge of the age to come. And and I say it that way because I don't like to speak in terms of... um rapture type of things, because if you understand anything about my recent uh, teachings and my, my structure is that I have very strong reservations when it comes to referring to a rapture. I spent a great deal of time within the last year especially looking back through Revelation, looking back through the various texts, both New Testament and Old Testament, and I'm having a hard time finding a real clear sense of evidence in God's Word that says that there really is going to be a rapture in the sense that the church in the last 150 years has referred to it as being. I do not think the church is going to be pulled up prior to the end times. I do not think the church is going to be removed and rescued from the tribulation. And I believe that what you find in Revelation is not an indication that the church will be resurrected up after the tribulation and then return with Christ. That doesn't fit in with the structure either. Again, it's, it's those are things that we've been taught. I was taught we were raised this way to believe that that was the structure. But I cannot say that it actually has scriptural evidence to back that. And, uh, and I save that for another day, but my focus today is on this passage or the next couple of chapters, actually, in this letter to the Corinthians. But I said all that to say, I believe that the the text that I'm covering today is a message to the church that is here in this age, but also in the church that is about to face the age to come. Now, having said that, we continue on. What, what we have here in these first five verses of chapter 2 is Paul reminding the people that, hey, when I came to you, I was not a well-polished man. I did not come to you in this form of excellency. I wasn't a man of great speech. I was not a refined person. And I came to you not even interested in what you currently were or what you previously had been. I didn't want to know specifics about you. I wanted to look at you from the context of Jesus Christ. And even then, the context of Jesus Christ that I was looking at you at in was as a crucified Christ. In other words, I'm looking at you. I came to you and I wanted to look at you from the perspective that the Christ who 
went to the cross for you would have looked at you. And that's important. <laughs> that is vastly important. Paul is trying to, to be the best shepherd he can be, but he's not doing it through his elegant speech. He's doing it through his attempt to get into the mind and the perspective of where Christ was when he went on the cross and how he would have seen these people. That's a shepherd who has the right focus. And that's what he's declaring here. And he's, he's doing it in an innocent way. He's not doing it boastfully because that's not why Paul is saying it this way. He's indicating, I'm really not interested in what your life has been, what your life is. I'm interested in you through the perspective of the filter of Christ. And even then, through his perspective of you as he was dying on the cross, not prior to or even after that. I'm looking at you as through the love, I'm trying to look at you through the love that he was expressing to you at that time. And my reason for doing that is to remind you, to remind you seriously that your faith should be in the power of God, not in the wisdom of men. And this is where this passage is vitally important today, and it connects with the uh, the last episode where I was talking about the, the authorized version and so forth. The church today does not look at its members the way Paul is referring to here. The church today wants you to focus on the wisdom of the men preaching from the pulpits or the women preaching from the pulpits. It does not want you looking at the power of God. And you, you may be saying, well, no, it does talk about it. No, it doesn't talk about the power of God. It talks about God somehow putting power in your finances. That's what today's church tends to center on. Not God's power, but the power of man and his economy. That is wrong. And Paul was reminding them at that point that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but it should be in the power of God. Your faith should be focused on what will God do and what can God do and what is he doing currently. So we pick up with verse 6, where it says, how be it we speak wisdom among them that are perfect? Yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. He is reminding us again that we speak of a wisdom that this world does not understand. And if they had understood it, they would never have crucified him. And he reminds them, and it's already written, we already knew that I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Nobody 
up until this point in all of human history, was prepared for what God would have in place for us through Christ. We didn't see it coming. Now, it's not that we weren't foretold of these things. We didn't understand the impact of it, because if we had, we wouldn't have missed it. We wouldn't have misunderstood it. And he picks up in verse 10. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. Now, the them here referring to these, the things, okay, the, which, the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. And he says, but God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man, but the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we ought to know the things that are freely given to us of God. And again, the reminder here is that today's church wants so seriously to have you look at the things around you and say, you desire these things, you want these things. Well, you deserve these things, and God wants to give you these things. No. We have received not the Spirit of this world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know not the things of this world, but that we may know the things that are freely given to us of God. Our reward should not be in the economy of our lives here, in this temporal existence of ours. The things we need and the things that we have already begun to receive are of God and are for God in an eternity, not today. Now he picks up in 13, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. Okay, now this is where it gets confusing if you don't really break it down appropriately. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. The natural man, meaning the fleshly man. The fleshly man cannot know the spiritual realm. It's the spiritual man that understands the spiritual and in 15 he picks up, But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. See, the spiritual man has found his answers in God. The natural man finds his answers in nature, meaning here. See, the kingdom of God that is the spiritual kingdom of God, the realm of God, is not physical. See, all this physical that's around us is temporary. If it's physical, it's temporary. If it's spiritual, it's eternal. 
And he's reminding us that what we, this is the irony, really. And, and it's one of the, the hardest things for a new Christian to understand, let alone for old ones to, to remember. This world that we're living in, the ears that you're hearing me with, <clears throat> the voice in which I am speaking to you through, is all temporary. It will not last forever. It is not a, a reward for us. We were spiritual before. We will be spiritual again. And in between that time, we have this, <laughs> what we come to believe is, is the real world. <laughs> the irony in that is that this isn't the real world. See, the real thing lasts forever. It's, it's the fake thing that expires. See, your time here is the fake time. Is, and and I, I use the word faith, I mean fake, you know, creatively here. It is real in the sense that it is, it is a reality for us, but it is the temporary. It is not our starting point. It is not our ending point. It is a journey that we take in the midst of our existence. It's very, very temporary. And yet what we do, because it is what we refer to as our reality, it's so real to us, we focus everything on it. And you would say, well, of course we focus everything on it because this is where we are. I mean, you, we want us to not focus on where we are right now when we have to because the, the things really go on around us. And I've heard people talk about, well, you know, you can't just shut down everything that goes on around you and pretend that it's not going on. And I've had people ask, why am, why are you no longer readily and, and regularly out there uh, posting things, talking about things, getting involved in all the things that are going on because there's so much going on? Well, yes, there is a lot going on. There's a tremendous amount going on. But here's here's where those of you that have been following me long before First Century Press took place and back in the days of Patriots Fight or even going all the way back to Mental Brick and, and so forth. Here's where I am with all of that because all of that at the time, first of all, the, the Holy Spirit had not shown me what I've seen in the last two years. Going on two years now. And I certainly wasn't listening heavily uh, at that point. What I thought I was listening to was the need to remind people of where we are today. I was guilty of focusing in on the natural man. I was there. I was one of those that was listening to the wisdom of this world. Even though I knew, <laughs> I, I mean, I knew that this was temporary I did. It's not like I didn't know that, but I, the human element within me was weak and it gave into it. And I thought that what my cause was, my purpose was, was to focus in on the here and now and to talk about the things that are happening today or tomorrow or next year. And I thought that was doing people a service. And I thought it was doing me a service. And the reason I have, one of the reasons why I have backed off from that is like this passage here. I have begun to understand that it is of a spiritual nature that my, my life needs to be focused. Because that is a long-term package of everything. 
anything that I consume my hours with here is temporary. And it's not that it's not necessary in order to live a day-by-day existence, in order to have relationships with other human beings, and in order to maintain a level of survival in the physical world. I have to, I have to look at what goes on on a daily basis, and I know that. But I do not need to go on the airwaves and promote suggestions and solutions and things of that nature for this world now for that, because that is temporary. We are, in fact, you can even see this just in the first few months of this year, of 2021, you've seen how quickly, just in the United States, economically, things have changed. And we thought it was massive last year in 2020 with the whole COVID mess. We thought we were seeing... Wow, look at how quick people are giving up their liberties and things. And it was true and it was accurate, but it was nothing compared to what we've seen just since the inauguration of this current administration. The shift of things that has already taken place. Just in a few months. Now, I could be going out there and readily posting information on all the bad things going on today and what you need to be aware of and what you need to be reading up on and all of that kind of thing like I used to do. And I could be going down those quote-unquote rabbit holes for you and with you on those matters. But the truth is, that is natural man with a natural man's solution and is temporal. We should be actively aware of the events going on around us, and we should be prayerfully living our lives with clear discernment as to what to do on a daily basis, what to listen to, what to believe, what to pass on. But we should also be looking at the larger picture and realizing, and the larger picture here is not a temporal one. I'm not talking about in the next four years or ten years or whatever. I'm talking about the big picture the spiritual picture, and realizing that we already know, and we've known for a couple of thousand years, where all of this is going. This is, this is no... We, it's referred to, even in Scripture, and even Paul here refers to it as the mystery. It is a mystery, but it's not a mystery that is not understood. Okay, and, and let me let me put that into a context of a kind of a worldly context. When you watch a thriller, a mystery movie, TV program, whatever, there is something that has to be unraveled in those stories, and there are people who gather on to the clues of what's going on very early on, and they go, "Oh, I know where this is going. I know who did it. I know where it happened. That kind of thing." And then there are others that don't. There are some that don't see it coming until the very moment that it's revealed. And even then they go, wait a minute, that doesn't make any sense. There are those that see it up front. There are those that begin to figure it out as it goes through. And then there are those that figure it out at the end. And then worst of all, there are those that still don't figure it out after all, everything's been revealed. And that, that's in a mystery story. That's in fiction. <laughs> Humanity is living its, its life right now 
with the spiritual portion of it facing one of those four categories. You're either reading Scripture, reading God's Word in, in prayer with Him, and you're seeing what's happened and you're aware of it and you've already been early on, you've gotten an early release of information. You're in the know. Or you're beginning to figure it out. Or you're going to be one that sees it as it gets revealed at the end. Or God forbid, you're going to be one of those that even after it's all been revealed, you still don't see it. And as crazy as that is, that <laughs> that's going to be the largest group of people actually is that fourth category, those people who still won't see it even after it's revealed. And one of the reasons why I say that, and I don't say that to be a pessimist, I say that because Scripture reminds us of that. It reminds us that even when the tribulation happens, at the end of the tribulation, at the end of those seven years, what you still end up with is a thousand-year reign where there is an existence where Satan is bound. Christ is reigning here on earth for a thousand years. And you're still going to have people who will sin and stray away from and not understand. Because it's at the end of that thousand years that Satan is released again and is allowed to do his campaign. And he's going to gather his people from the four corners of the world. Yes, there you go. I mean, let flat earth conversation throw in there. But you're going to have the people he's recruited from the four corners that are going to stand up and try to do battle against the Lord's army. Now this is all revelation. The end of the thousand years, Satan gets released. He is given a recruiting time in which he gathers up a massive group of people from, from who have or generations that have lived through a thousand years of an existence without Satan's temptation, and they're still going to turn to him. Now they lose, and they get cast down, because the judgment happens, the final judgment happens at that point, and that's when Satan and the Antichrist and those that are with him are cast down permanently. But there are still going to be an army of people that will be in opposition to Christ and to his kingdom at the end of a thousand years of an existence without the deception of Satan influencing them. <laughs> which, which means there are still going to be people that are clueless. And Paul isn't speaking of that period so much, but he is talking here about how there are those that their eyes aren't seeing, their ears aren't hearing. Nothing enters into their heart. And they don't get it. They're not prepared. But those who do love the Lord will know all of this stuff. They'll see it. It will be revealed to them. But Paul reminds us that the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolish unto him. They will make no sense. Now, saying that, let's look at what we see in the world today. And I'm not talking just world in large. You, each of you, within the hearing of my voice, know people 
that still continue to be completely clueless to all of this. And you yourself may have been very recently. And I've, I've spent most of my life growing up in the church. I've got two ministry degrees. I've got years of study in all of this, and I still had allowed myself to sink into the natural man state of things as recently as a year ago. So I know that we all have fallen into that. We all have seen pieces of all of this and looked at it as if it was foolishness. And and I have people that will still look at me and say that because I don't support the QAnon movement anymore, that I'm the fool. No, I was being a fool during that. See, that was a part of the natural man. The QAnon movement is part of the natural man issue. Now, the information that people dug down and found in that, much of it has some teeth to it. Much of it is reliable. But knowing it doesn't have an eternal effect. And that was one of the things I had to overcome. I had to realize that knowing these things and sharing those things with other people was not going to change the end of the story. In fact, I would probably have been continuing to aid and abed in the ignorance of people facing the spiritual solution I was keeping myself in the natural and I was helping keep thousands and thousands of others in the natural solution. And that was wrong. Suffer Freely and I posted a video. It's probably been a year ago now. It's been over a year ago now. Um, We did a live thing on Instagram. Uh, Like I said, it it was last either late May or June of 2020. And uh, and it, it, there are people that still comment on some of this stuff. Now I removed a lot of that off of my Instagram. But I mean, I <laughs> I'm not proud of this, but I had like 26,000 posts, and and I've tried to diminish those down, but it's time consuming. It's like you know what, forget it, leave them there, I'll do what I do. But ironically enough, there are people that still find things from a year, two years ago, three years ago, and they're still commenting on these things. And somebody just in the last few days has had gone out there and had seen that video. That uh, that Suffer Freely and I had put out, and they were just—I mean, they were just. Of course, it, the video itself was talking about why we left QAnon. So here we are. There hasn't been a Q drop since December of 2020. Okay, so QAnon is 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 there is no current anything going on with QAnon has not been like I said since December, and. Yet there are people that are just now catching on to it, just now reading these things. And the irony is is they can read this stuff in light of the fact that President Trump lost in November, in light that nobody is seeing jail time, that all of those things are there, and they can still read this stuff and go, oh, it's about to happen, it's going to happen. I'm like, you're literally reading old history. (laughs) It would be like somebody reading a history book pre-Civil War and assuming that that the Civil War is not going to happen. Or somebody reading... uh, It's just... It's... it's, 
<laughs> it doesn't make any sense. You're living in a world today where you know where it is. So if you read something from a year ago that tells you that something's about to happen and you know that you're living in a world that's post the time that should have happened and it didn't, common sense, and I use that term loosely, common sense would tell you, okay, then that was that was a wrong that was wrong information. We know better now because we're on this side of that moment in history and it didn't happen. Or it happened differently, or whatever. And, and no, I'm not digressing from, from the scripture here. This is all relevant to this. This individual found it necessary to continue to comment and say that, that Suffer Freely and I were the ones that were being the fools and that we were the heretics in this process. We were heretics in this process. Now, this was a, a man-made movement about man-made issues. It was time-sensitive, and that time has passed. And we were talking about the need to return to Christ and to the spiritual world and the spiritual solutions over the man-made solutions that weren't working. They weren't going to work. And here we are, a year later, and somebody is still reading that content and they're still looking at it as, but you're a heretic. Now, this is not somebody that posted a year ago. This is somebody who has commented on the video recently. This year. This month. Well, May. So... There are going to be people that are going to find your focus on the spiritual world and your focus on Christ and your focus away from man and man's so-called solutions and are going to look at you today, tomorrow, next week, seven years after the current time, at the end of the tribulation, at the end of the thousand years, there are going to be people that are still going to see all of this as foolishness. It's crazy, but it's true. Now, Paul goes on to give us some more solutions to this. He says, like he said in, in verse 15, he said, but he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. Of no man. We owe nothing to the people of this world for what we for the actions that we take in the name of Christ do not fear what you do for Christ in this world do not fear for judgment from man in this world for it that's really what paul's saying here no man has dominion over you and has right to judge you in the context of your actions for Christ in verse 16, For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now that's hand in hand with the comment there that before that, that he himself is judged of no man. No man can judge you because no man has the mind of the Lord. But we have the mind of Christ. See, 
the one who sees what we do in this world in the name of Christ as foolishness doesn't see it from the perspective of the mind of Christ. But we do. Now, believe it or not, I said all that actually to get to chapter 3. All of that was preamble. Chapter 3 is really the focus, and it's, it's, it's not even the whole chapter. But in chapter 3, he, he goes into being a laborer with God. And he starts off and he says, I, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto, un, as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. Now, he's not really being insulting. He's just like, I could not speak with you of the spiritual. When I came to you originally, I could not speak to you in the spiritual sense. You were just of the natural man. In other words, you saw what I said as foolishness. I had to speak to you through the carnal. And I had to speak to you as if you were a child. I have fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto ye were not able to bear it. Neither yet now are you able. You were babes then, and really you still are babes. For ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? Now he's reminding them that there are those among you that still don't get it, and there are some of you that claim that you are of my camp, or you're of the camp of Apollos, another evangelist of the day. But he was like, that's all carnal. That's all natural man kind of stuff. You're not following me. You're not following Apollos. And the fact that you've got two different avenues that you're looking at doesn't help. Then in verse 5, he says, Who then is Paul? And who is Apollos? But ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. I have planted, Apollos watered. But God gave the increase. Hey, you don't follow me. You don't follow Apollos. We are just ministers. We're just tools in all this. What I may have started, Apollos continued, but it's God that gave the increase. God's the one that made it successful. Verse 7, he says, So then, neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now, he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. According to the grace of God which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. Now, he's referring to Apollos there. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. But 
In other words, it's like I may have started it. Apollos may be continuing it, but each one of you is a part of the building process. So your role is important, and you have to take heed on how you contribute to the building of this. I hear people all the time talking about how, well, this ministry does this, and I contribute to this you know, minister, or I do these kind of... No, it is you. How are you personally taking part in this? And he says in verse 11, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Now this is the key to this time here. And this, this hits off on some of these denominations, these ministries, these cults or sects or whatever these are that are going on today in the 21st century, they keep making references to things. And I have friends, uh, brothers and sisters in the Lord that, that get into these, um, these battles over the, the once saved, always saved, and, and the losing of salvation and all of these different arguments that happen. Now, this passage here is referring to something different. It's talking about how you take part in the building of the kingdom of God. And if you build upon the foundation that is Jesus Christ, you're in the right direction. Now, if you're trying to build another foundation outside of Jesus Christ, then you're already in the wrong. But if you're in the, the group that is building on the foundation of Christ, there's also a couple of avenues there. You can either just ride the coattails, or you can continue to add to the benefits of it. Okay, But every man will be paid either with a reward or a loss based off of their con contribution to the process. And Paul is reminding them that if any man abides which you know in these things, he shall receive a reward. Okay, if you take part in and you you guide and direct and assist in the ministry of Jesus Christ, you'll see reward. But if your work isn't of purity, it will be burned. But the key here is the second half of that verse 15. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Paul is reminding you that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, the quality of what you present in there is not up to you to determine. If you do something that is truly beneficial, you will be rewarded for it. If it turns out to not have much merit to it, it will be burned off. But it, that is all that. It has nothing to do with your salvation. You yourself shall be saved. You will survive the cleansing process. The judgment will occur, 
But if your foundation is Christ, reward in this world or loss in this world won't matter because you yourself are still saved. Do your labor. I used to have, uh, I used to have people that would tell me things like, you know what, go out there and just do it. Mess it all up if you have to. At least you're participating in it. And we'll clean up afterwards. I'd much rather have you actively involved and make mistakes than sit back out of fear that you're going to make a mistake and never do any action. And in a way, Paul is reminding us in that way, get out there and, and work within the foundation of Jesus Christ. And if you do something that has reward in this world, you'll get reward for it. But if you do something and it doesn't produce any reward here, okay, so it's lost, but it's temporary. It's all burnt up and it's gone. But you yourself are saved. Now, it doesn't say go do something wicked. It doesn't say that if you build on another foundation, you're saved. He's saying that when you do the work for the foundation of Jesus Christ, the fire, the judgment, will sort it all out. But your salvation is okay. See, Christ determined that. And again, nowhere in here does Paul say, go and be wicked, and you're still saved. He's saying that what you produce may not produce a reward here. It may produce a loss. But that's temporal. It's not your spiritual. Go out there and get fully involved in the cause of Jesus Christ. Get involved in the gospel. You may see temporary, temporal reward here, and you may not. You may see losses. But you yourself are saved. A mistake done with the right intentions is no worse off than inactivity with the right intentions. But he doesn't want you to be inactive. Paul didn't want them to be inactive, and Christ doesn't want us to be inactive. He wants us to be laborers with him, with him, not for him, with him. He's doing it too. He's opening doors, he's creating paths, he's giving you opportunities, he's placing you in the path of opportunities. And you will be rewarded in this world for some things, and you will see losses in this world for some things. But you yourself are still saved because you're still taking that journey and you're still laboring with God. Now, I think it's interesting that Paul goes through all this and then he, he literally throws his next passage. He switches over and he says, Know ye not that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? Now, he goes on to talk about if any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. You are the temple of God. He talks about us taking part as laborers with God, and then he says, remember that you are God's temple. An inactive temple is an empty church. See, we're not to be empty, and we're not to defile it. Don't defile the labor that you do 
again, all of this is a reminder to me, and it, and you may not see it this way, and that's that's understandable, but I believe that the Holy Spirit has revealed to me that what we're facing today, at this day and age, is, is not something that we should just sit back and ignore. We are to fight the battles. We are to do that. Now, we are not, as individuals, as church bodies, as denominations, ministries, we're not to use our pulpits and so forth and do all these things to denigrate that. Okay, we are we are not to go out there and talk about we need to wish death upon a particular group of people. We are not supposed to be doing that. And there are churches, there are ministries, there are movements, and I'm not going to name just one or two because there's there's several of them. Um, if you start doing your research, you'll find that just about every major denomination, be it Protestant, Catholic, doesn't matter or the other, and the other fits into your groups like your your Mormons and so forth. There's not, none of those, none of those those groups are clear and pure. They all have been corrupted. They all have been compromised. They all have levels that have come to accept things that are very much natural man. Very much so. And they have, you see within the church itself as a whole, you see within the church itself, there is a look, not just from congregations, but from the leadership in those churches, there is a look of of confusion when they see people that are truly of God and they see those people as foolish. When the church itself is looking at you as if your words and your stance with the Lord is foolishness, then you know, you know that you are at a point now where this is beyond being able to fix it. And I I don't say this to be defeatist. We are not in a time of human history where movements marches, elections, etc. are going to fix what is ahead. Now, I am not telling anyone to stop laboring. But I am telling you, I'm highly suggesting that you be very aware that the laboring you're doing is for the spiritual kingdom that it's for the spiritual world, not for this natural world. Okay? The labor you put in in the name of Jesus Christ is labor being done toward the kingdom of God outside of this fleshly time. It is in preparation for the age to come. It is not fixing the current age. And it will not. You're going to continue to see the world around you disintegrate. You are. You're going to you're going to lose friendships. You're going to lose loved ones. You're going to see people that look at you and see you as the fool. You're going to see people clinging as desperately as they can to this world with everything they have. 
And they're going to do it while they're quoting scripture, while they're singing from the pews, while they are wearing their t-shirts that, you know, declare the Lord. But they're clinging desperately to the natural world. And if you are among those that are clinging to the spiritual judgment, they're going to see you as an absolute fool. And these are going to be the people from within your church community. And that, that's going to be, if, if you've not already experienced it, it is going to be the hardest experience for you going forward. You will not be able to go in comfort and expect the assurance and the protection from within the church. The church is still going to be here during tribulation. I am very much in belief of that because, again, I do not find anything that really, truly, in Scripture says that the church is removed. And you have people that argue, well, you don't hear anything else about the church after a certain verse and da-da-da. That's not the point. Not hearing the term again doesn't mean the church is not here. It just means that in the revelation that was revealed to John from Christ, it is not the church that he's seeing doing the activity. Now, one of the interpretations of that can be because the church looks just like everybody else. <laughs> See, and, and that's, that's the part, that's the conclusion I've come to, is that the reason you don't see a separation of activity with the church is because the church itself is the group that's in denial. And that may not be a word that you want to hear, and it may be something you don't want to believe, and you may choose, because of this particular episode, you may choose to never listen to me again. And then that's up to you. That's your own discernment. But if you're doing that because you have sought out prayer from the Lord and the Lord has told you not to listen to me anymore, then do that. But if it's because I'm offending you um, or I'm offending your belief in something, that's not reason enough to not look into it and research it yourself. I was, I have always been somebody, way back, I've always been somebody that would suggest things to you but tell you to still do your own searches. Get into the Lord's Word. Now, I'm not talking about in commentaries. I'm not talking about in other people's writings. I'm talking about actually in the Word of God. Get into that in prayer. Stop and digest things. Ask God to explain every passage if necessary. Seek your counsel in that. But don't do it through reading other people's books and commentaries and the footnotes in your Bible. I'm talking about the Scripture itself and time with the Lord. If you, if you seek it that way and the Lord tells you, don't listen to Sean anymore, then don't listen to Sean anymore. I am sharing this with you because this, I believe, is what the Holy Spirit has shared with me. And it is how I have come to understand it. The way the Lord needs to use you may be in a different way. And He may need you to see certain things in a certain different way because He needs to use you in a certain way. I believe this is how I'm being used. But that's also a big reason why it has been very infrequent for me to get out there and, and throw comments out there. 
I'm not getting involved in this current administration unless the Lord just says, you know, it's time for you to say something about this. But I'm not getting involved in all of that. I don't think there's a need to get involved in all of that. I think it's very clear if you are a Bible-believing person, if you're in prayer with the Lord, I think it is very clear what is going on with the current administration and what's going on with the nation and the world at large. I, I do. I think it's very transparent as to what all is taking place and why it's taking place. And it's not that I don't want it to. I'm not praying for the damnation of things. I'm not foolish enough to do that. Um, and I'm not gleeful that this is the time we're living in. Honestly, I see it coming to fruition and I believe what I'm seeing. But it does... I, I, to be very honest, it is scary because all of my life I've always believed, well, one of these days this will happen, but I never really believed it was going to happen within my lifetime. I really didn't. I just always assumed it would be my kid's generation or the generation after or whatever, that we were going to make it through this next storm. And we don't know how far off it really is, but you see between last year and just the first few months of this current administration this year, you see how quickly things change and how drastic they become. And uh, you can't help but, but begin to go, okay, it really doesn't take that much time for all of this to transpire. And uh, and I was even mentioning to someone the other day, I mean, you think about it, we're really being prepared for a lot can happen in a very short time period. I mean, a lot can happen in in just a few days or weeks or months. And that hands itself completely, perfectly into the events of the tribulation. We know that the total event from start to finish is supposed to be a seven-year time period. And uh, three and a half years into that is when, you know, you get that intermission time, so to speak, and, and the real revealing of things happen, and they go, three and a half years, that's not a whole lot of time. Well, you can't say that within the last 16, 18 months, we haven't been shown what all can be done in a very short amount of time. If in 18 months we can go from where we were in January of 2020 to what you see around you today in June of 21, then you know that another 18 months and you're three years into something, tribulation will not be a long period of time. We know that. But we also know that a great deal of things can happen in a very short amount of time. And I personally believe that that's what we're being shown is we were being prepared. Those of us that are discerning about it are, are being shown how quickly it can happen and will happen, and it will appear to be overnight. Which also means that you don't have much time. If you're not right with the Lord, you don't have much time. It really is more urgent than you think. And I'm not talking because you're going to die. You may be listening to me and you're in your teens and 20s. 30s, you're not thinking about your life as being short. But here's what happens. Seven years happens very quickly. Three and a half years happens very quickly. When you think about it, three and a half years isn't even a presidential term. And think about how quickly 
the four years of President Trump's administration went by. Does it really feel like it's been four years? So, it will pass by quickly. It's not about your life's going to end soon. It's about your spiritual life is at risk. That's what it's about. Now, I told you that would be more current, and I am. And uh, here we are, two two podcasts in the same week. I don't know that I'm going to continue to do that every couple of days or so, but it's on my heart, and so therefore it's on my voice, and it's out there within your ear. I love you. I'm praying for you. God bless.